right. It says, oh, there we go. All right. All right. So this is another episode of FR Locked podcast. Uh, today we have Alex Fleming from Sherpa Motorsports with us today. Uh, Alex, if you want to go ahead and start it off with who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been listening to you guys for a while, so it's kind of fun to be a yeah. part of it. Um, my yeah, name is Alex Fleming, uh, owner of Sherpa Equipment Company, alongside of Will and Hayden. Um, we've been doing that for about four and a half years. Um, we're actually coming up on five pretty close, I suppose, wow. this summer. Um, but yeah, we make modular roof rack systems, and we got into it just because we love off-roading and needed a product that didn't exactly exist for our platform and it's grown into what it is today, making some of the strongest racks on the market. Um, so yeah, we're stoked about that, but, um, I guess the main reason I'm probably here for, for this is because of our racing endeavors that we've gotten ourselves into over the last few years with our, uh, 2004 forerunner. So yeah, uh, that thing's a, that thing's a blast and that's it's definitely awesome pushed, pushed our products forward. Push the hell out of that thing and, really take that to another level especially considering you guys are in a stock class you guys can't be pushing things to the next level in regards to like how much you guys can chop up and what parts you can run like you're Mm -hmm. extremely limited and you're still pushing things to an extreme yeah it can be a royal pain with how many limitations (laughs) we have like some of them are just annoying like not being able to cut out our front clip so between every race we're doing sheet metal work and trying to keep the whole front end from falling off Cause like yeah, you can't the weight of the easy way of just yeah, cut it out of the way. Yeah, I just want to put tubes up there, you know? <laughs> yep, exactly. So let's start off with, um, you know, what made you, what, how'd you get into off-roading in general? Um, Where did that my start? Family. Yeah, my, my brother got into it when he was in high school um, and he kind of got my dad back into it. He used to do it a little bit, but it was always as a, my dad's uh, off-roading was always like a means to get out to go climb mountains go backcountry skiing and stuff like that he used to have a uh early toyota pickup that he used to take out and then when i was nice. just a young kid he had a second gen forerunner and it was okay. like stock mobbing and he used to beat the crap out of the thing and always so have fun the with family him. toyota yeah. and mobbing the vehicles yeah exactly and then my brother got uh a third gen forerunner when he was in high school and he used to wheel the crap out of that thing. It was like stock with rock sliders and he would just go like send pretty hard trails with it. Like back in the day he was running Chinaman's, which didn't used to be that hard back then, but for 31 inch tires and pretty much no experience. Yeah. He was pushing it. And then he ended up rolling that truck in my parents' driveway. In uh, the driveway? In the the driveway, drifting in the snow. (laughs) put it into a snow pile and then it tipped over and ended up on its side um kind of fixed it a little bit but then ended up going to college in steamboat and he decided to buy a lj and when he bought the lj i ended up buying the forerunner off of him fixing it up and that's the truck i've had now for the since i was 15 oh wow yeah so that's my current third gen um and i've been beating on that thing since then and working yeah. on it and uh wheeling it camping um i used to go camping a lot i didn't do much wheeling early on um but as we started to get into more trails and stuff i definitely got the bug for wheeling and fell in love with that a lot and i liked the idea of going out on the harder trails being able to camp so um i guess you could say what I was doing back then was overlanding more so, but <laughs> it's definitely turned into the more 
hardcore rock crawling aspect of it that I enjoy, especially now that we've gotten into the race truck and I have a platform that I can beat the heck out of and still mm-hmm. kind of take care of my truck a little more so. But as the time goes on, I'm sure that thing's going to get its fair share of body damage and beat to crap and hopefully you have any put some bigger parts on it. With your current forerunner, the third gen, to build that up anymore? Or are you going to just kind of keep it the way it is and focus on the race truck? Um, as we've kind of found our stride with the race truck there's starting to be a little bit more time to do some stuff with my personal truck but mm-hmm. as you saw i just bought a house so funds are tight yeah congrats uh, that's yeah thank super you super impressive I'm, and i'm excited big jump in life yeah sure. terrible time to do it but you know i i just wanted to get it done and was stoked to get my own place but i've been hearing um, that it's a terrible time for a long time i so know right just just know that it's everyone's always going to tell you it's a terrible time and I, when i bought my house i thought it was a terrible time too and i'm sure as hell glad i bought when i did because i thought yeah. i was buying at the top but yeah i'm excited stuff, as long as we have inflation house prices are going to go up and right. i don't see inflation going away anytime soon so you're that's good. what i've been hearing but yeah so as far as the third gen goes i'd like <clears> to turn it into some form of a pre-runner for the race truck I think one of the biggest issues we have, especially out at races like King of the Hammers, is we do all our pre-running on our race truck, and it uh, beats the crap out of it before the race. You're fixing it before the race. You're yeah, doing trail and, fixes and pit fixes. And... Yeah, and to an extent, it's nice to put the miles on the truck before a race, especially Hammers, because we do so much prep before it, and we change so much, so you kind of work out those small kinks. But mm-hmm. things like the differentials, especially that little 8-inch up front, it's mm. asking a lot of that to do basically all of hammers twice, let alone <laughs> once. So right. Yeah. It'd be nice yeah it's to impressive to finish one time. To yeah. It'd be nice to have twice. something to go cruise the trails. That's a similar platform. Um, obviously it won't be restricted by the rules we have for stock class. So I can build it a little bit beefier if I want to, but it all comes down to time and budget and all that stuff. This yeah. stuff's expensive. All that's hard to come up on these days. Yeah. Especially yes. as you get older, time gets a little bit harder to, to find. That's yep. for sure. Yeah. The way, the way you're going with your truck would be pretty, pretty kick-ass as a pre-runner, but I don't know if I'm, I'm down for swapping out the motor and doing a Cutting pinched IFS setup right away. I'd love to do pinched IFS with a Ford, Ford nine in the front, like the spider nine housing or something, mm-hmm. just so it's pretty much indestructible but god i'd probably spend three years building that thing if that's the case <laughs> yeah i'm already yeah i'm already almost two years into mine and i'm not actually yeah. even doing the the center mount uh for a uh, full drive with i the ford nine you're I'm pushing it that. off i'm pushing it off yeah i, I realize i same thing there's no way yeah. i have time right now and it's, it's just so it's much. going I did such see, a deeper rabbit hole there's a company on instagram that i started seeing ads for and then i started following them it's called diy off-road yeah they, they have the whole thing files. set up yeah, it's, you could buy cool. like a center mount CAD file and basically just cut your frame up. And if you have access, thankfully here we have great access to a laser cutter. Um, mm. But if you have access to like a plasma cutter, that'd be a pretty kick-ass way to build some cool stuff. Is just getting the CAD files. Yeah, and exactly. you can tweak it too. The only thing that I think of that the only reason I haven't jumped into that because I saw that and I was like, oh my god, this is it! Like, yeah, I should just do this, easy. right? <laughs> But I think I have to push the motor back quite a bit into the cab. And when there's yeah. already a very small cab on these things, and my major demand is I need four seats. So yep. how do I fit four seats in such a little cab with a fuel cell and rear suspension and stuff? Like Especially everything just slowly LS. gets squeezed forward or squeezed in. You know, I'm already 
having that tough time figuring that out right now. Yeah, I know how that goes. But yeah, I I got a supercharger for it. So if I end up doing it, it's got a seventh injector. I'm working on getting all the parts and getting that installed, but I feel like that's more than enough power to go mess around in the desert. Oh yeah. Keep myself from destroying my truck. A mild uh, long travel setup, just like a regular three and a half over kit. And then do like four link in the rear with shocks, like what we did on Robert's truck the first time around. I don't know if you saw the the setup. He just had rear coilovers, 14 inch rear coilovers. And Mm -hmm. I rode in that thing and we were cooking. We were going 60 miles an hour hitting big stuff. Yeah. Like this for such a simple build. It was amazing. Yeah, and, and do a lot. I can make it a lot lighter than a race truck, so it'll be a lot less demanding of the small shocks. Like mm-hmm. we're still struggling with the race truck to get those uh, single eight-inch coilovers to catch the truck. Like and you this can't last bigger weekend, than two point five, right? No, but this last we're on like our tenth tune now. We've tried four different spring rates, and we've listened to like three different shock guys. And the guy we're currently working with out of Colorado is making some good progress, but it's asking a lot of those tiny shocks to catch a 6,000 pound truck oh, when yeah. you're hitting jumps at 50, 60 miles an hour. So yeah, it doesn't, we're trying. It doesn't work that well, especially when you're doing it repetitively for a yeah. whole race. You know, there's yeah. guys that are pushing it with, you know, two shocks, you know, 2.5 and 3.0 that I'm talking mm-hmm. to. And they're like, Oh yeah, the 3.0s don't hold up. Like mm-hmm. you're just limited to a single 2.5. Yep. That's single two five that you're yeah, pushing like, through one shot. Our shocks don't have bleed ports anymore, and the guy who's tuning our shocks is like, this is like the most aggressive compression tune I've ran on something this small, and it's still just not enough. So we're, we're pushing it harder, um, and we're getting closer. It's eating the whoops up, which is nice, and it does decent in the rocks. We're still fighting, keeping the belly from smashing into stuff. I know mm-hmm. everyone's always like, oh, you need up travel. You need up travel. Get more up travel. And it's like, we can't run up travel, or else we literally destroy the underside of our truck like this last race we cracked our upper oil pan assembly because it pushed the cross member with the steering rack attached to it up into the motor and i'm sure the motor came down a little bit too under the flex because we're still running the factory motor mounts which we need to get swapped out to solid motor mounts at some point Mm -hmm. but we literally shattered that whole cast assembly and dumped all our oil out and thankfully it happened on the last lap and the motor's still fine but Wow. Yeah. And that was after pushing our front bump stops down right before that race, uh, almost a half inch, which with that motion ratio is getting rid of like an inch, inch and a half of up travel. Mm-hmm. So I'm still hitting things hard. Still just destroying that front end. Like our front skid plates like stamped to our whole like, <laughs> so, like uh, subframe under there. Like you can see the, the diff mounts. You can see the diff. Yeah. And it's three sixteenth steel with a bunch of reinforcement on it. <laughs> damn it's yeah nuts. you guys are you guys are seriously taking that vehicle to the next level and pushing the limits in every single dimension yeah, it's yeah fun. There's, there's only so much you can do you can't run bigger tires to get more ground clearance you can't more, nope. run more shock you, you can't cut more yeah there's one it's, thing we could do that would probably really help with the whole ground clearance thing and that's spend 20 grand on portals and be like the broncos but that's oh, yeah. a lot of money <laughs> oh yeah that is not cheap no. that's goals but yeah that's yeah kind of hard to put that kind of money into a, a race truck that's kind of a hobby at this point not really yeah it absolutely. Is part of the business but yeah it's, it's yeah. a lot yeah it's the race the racing's fun we try and do it as lucrative as possible we use money from scrap here at the shop so that yeah. helps a lot but outside of that it's funded by our paychecks so <laughs> there you go um so let's talk about a little bit about how you guys got into 
we briefly touched on it with the uh, Sherpa Equipment Company. Um, how you guys got into it? That you guys were just started by creating a product that wasn't really on the market for the platform you guys are working on. Let's go a little bit into that and like where you guys started and where you guys are now. It's a pretty impressive feat that you guys have accomplished over the last Thanks. few years. It's pretty yeah, awesome so, to watch you guys grow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I started, I, if you go back to like the very beginning and kind of what we call the uh, startup of Sherpa, it's, I was in high school. I was a senior in high school and I wanted a roof rack for my truck, but I had basically no money to go spend a thousand bucks on a rack or 1800 bucks on a rack. If you're talking like a tube steel rack or whatever, um, it was expensive at the time. And Will, uh, my buddy, um, who I started the company with, we, uh, started looking into ideas on how to build our own. And we were looking at the extrusion idea. Um, so we started pricing stuff out. We ended up picking up like, I think we got like 10 bars of extrusion from 8020's website. And I had an angle grinder and went and bought some uh, aluminum angle from Home Depot and some like flat sheets of aluminum to make the fairing and like kind of oh, match nice. it to the, the style of the truck. And then we used um, electrical, uh, it's not it's not, what is it called? It's the stuff that you like hang lights from and, uh, electrical, uh, conduit from and like the ceiling Unistrut. We oh, bought okay. Unistrut and cut that down because we didn't think to just go buy C channel. And we made those <laughs> our mounting feet. And it was like the most asinine rack you could ever think of. And we ran it for a year and people were like constantly messaging us on Instagram. Like, Hey, like, I like your rack. Can I buy one of those? Like, can you make me one? And we were like all high and mighty in our teen years like oh no these are for us we have the cool thing you can't have this and then a year goes by and our racks are like falling apart because they're made super poorly with like parts from the shelf at home depot so we were like all right how do we make a nicer roof rack and afford to be able to do it so we put some cad files together to go get our side plates like actually water jet out and like match the curve of the vehicle and we posted it up on one of the Facebook pages, or I think I posted it on T4R.org or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we're going to make five of these. We'll sell three of them. Who wants to buy the other three? And within the first like four hours, we had three people like signed up like, yeah, here, I'll send you the money. Let's, let's try this thing out. Um, nice. So then that funded those five racks for us. So we were able to get new roof racks out of it with no budget, basically. Um, and once we got those three racks out, we just kept having people calling us and messaging us on Instagram, like, hey, I want to buy one of those. So then we took the time and we sat down and started to write up a business plan and make things legit, set up our tax license. And nice. from there, we started selling these racks out of my garage. Um, I got Hayden involved, who I met through the third gen community. Um, he was an engineering student at the time, and he had a bandsaw and a drill press set up in his laundry room in his apartment because he was just making cool shit with his friends and i was like do you want to manufacture our mounting feet <laughs> so he was cutting down c-channel aluminum and he had 3d printed jigs for him and was drilling the holes uh for the mounting feet and he was knocking those out for us and uh about a year after that of doing it that way and kind of like talking about better ways to make the rack better and taking customer feedback. That's when we got our first shop um, and we started doing it the, 
proper way and we had like properly 3d modeled uh designed mounting feet and started pushing into new markets and we've grown a lot since then we're now in a what is it 26,000 square foot facility with 15 employees um cranking stuff out yeah fiber laser uh we have cnc press brake we have a time machine or a time saver which is like gets rid of all the sanding for prepping the material once it's off the laser um yeah it's pretty it's pretty insane how far it's gone you guys just recently got the laser right within the last few months uh we got the laser um it showed up at our shop when we moved we moved to this building in august and the laser showed up about three weeks later okay and it wasn't up and running with automation uh like full full proper running until about I'd say late December, early January, but we've been, it's been, yeah. And we were running into issues. Like we'd have an install team come out and then they'd get COVID and then they'd have to get sent home. And it was like, can we please just get our laser installed? (laughs) You guys had a a water jet before that, right? Yep. Yeah. And we still do have the water jet. Uh, We're actually, it's for sale right now, but it's been nice to keep it as far as um, cutting non-conductive materials. Like we'll cut our rubber on it sometimes when we don't have enough coming in from our supplier. Um, and we use it for prototyping, but the water jet was awesome outside of just being incredibly slow. Um, oh, is that what it is? It just takes a long time. Yeah. So our laser, uh, that we have cuts about, I'd say 14 times faster than our water. jet. Oh, wow. So it's pretty insane what we can accomplish on the laser in a day versus what we used to do on the water jet. Um, it's pretty nuts, but we bought that water jet with the hopes of it being able to cut all of our production cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we outgrew that machine in about two months. Really? And had to, yeah, and then had to outsource um, stuff, which we don't really enjoy outsourcing. Uh, it's nice not having to deal with funding your equipment and all the things mm-hmm. that go along with that. But um, it's incredibly inconsistent. You have no control over your quality. Um, Timeframes are always changing, especially during COVID and all the supply chain issues. We'd get promised that we'd have parts in on X date and X date would roll around and they'd be like, Oh yeah, no, we're three more weeks out. And it's like, well, okay. Now we have to tell our customers that they're three more weeks out on their racks and we have no control over it. And now you're just a typical company in the off-road industry when you have to tell yep. people over and over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the problem with the off-road industry that everyone hates is everything mm-hmm. is like, Oh yeah, sorry. Backed up. Oh, backed up. And then it's just yeah. over and over. And that's the last thing you want customer service wise. And as a business yep. owner, that's the number one priority I have is, customer experience that's how you keep growing so yeah it sounds like you guys are making the right steps to be able to keep that customer service and keep things in house and be able to keep growing yeah one of the one of the biggest issues we had too with outsourcing and we still have it with some of our components like we don't uh, manufacture our extrusion we have that outsourced uh, to a Mm -hmm. company out in utah but um the the logistics of it all like if you have one more step of a shipping process, there's that much more opportunity for those parts to come in damaged or late or whatever. Mm. And especially when we were doing um, our side plates and fairings and stuff outsourced, they'd come back powder coated because the people we worked with offered powder coating too. And we'd have all this blem product that we couldn't ship out. And we didn't want our name to be tainted by racks that look terrible on people's trucks. So we weren't trying to sell scratch and dent product. So we were just recycling this stuff slash sending it off to our local powder coater to get blems fixed. And it was just such a pain in the butt. So having it all in house and doing everything here and working with our local powder coater, that's 20 minutes down the road has made life so much easier. Nice. 
Yeah, now the yeah. headache sourcing material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good though that you're actually getting to that point where you're have that much production where the, mm-hmm. now you, material becomes the next step of the yeah. supply chain issues. It's a lot more that's fun, lot. that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, another thing I saw is since you've been getting the plasma up and running or the laser up and running is you actually will take other people's files and cut and bend their stuff yep. for them, right? Yeah. Right. So one of the big perks with the laser is since it's so fast, all of our production cutting takes up about one day a week. So our laser has, we, we work four days. Um, we do, uh, four 10 hour days instead of five days but those Mm -hmm. three other days our laser is basically sitting unless we're using it for um uh product development and doing other stuff like cutting parts for the race car or whatever so we're trying to fill the time a little bit Mm -hmm. and we're hoping to help out other guys in our industry that are struggling to get um time on other other lasers and a lot of people are working with companies across the state from or across the country from them so um we're trying to help out local guys um Obviously, we're not trying to like we have people emailing us and they're like, can you design me and cut me a skid plate for my truck? And it's like, no, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to do like production runs for businesses and mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, so that's going to be fun. I think it's good, too, for our production team because it'll kind of show them other ways of doing things because mm-hmm. uh, it'll help our engineers too, like see how other companies are designing and building things and how we can uh, grow our manufacturing capabilities um, with the help of other people. So it's always nice. fun to, to branch out. To learn, yeah. Learn from others. And that's, yeah, that's part of business for sure. Always yep. learning. Yeah, awesome. So that'll be fun. Nice. So what are you seeing in the, uh, in the racing side of things? We, I think we already talked about it was the biggest struggles. Is it just class limitations? Are your biggest struggles and then shock tuning anything else that you're seeing like major struggles with? Yeah. So, um, I've been, pretty royally impressed by our front diff and our cv axles um going into it it was like that constant like people chirping in our ear like oh that eight inch isn't going to survive you guys are going to be blowing diffs blowing cvs like every single race and some of the stuff that that front end has managed to bounce through and throttle out of and uh, hold up to has been pretty mind-blowing the one time uh, I guess we've blown the diff twice now. The second time, I totally understand how it blew. We lost both our front limit straps at hammers. So the CVs were constantly binding every time this, the suspension was cycling. And mm-hmm. we put, I think it was like 40 miles on it with the limit strap ripped out of our frame. And it would bind every single time. And it was like, well, it's already binding. So I might as well not go four miles an hour. So we were pushing like 30 through big whoops on race course and the CVs survived to an extent. They, they broke and we were missing one of the bearings on one of the tripods and the boots were ripped off, but they were still grabbing and pushing us through rock trails. And after we got the limit strap fixed at Maine, we cleared Turkey claw. Um, but the main thing that we ended up running into with that failure was we broke our driver's side diff mount and then uh, the bushing was like ripping apart on the passenger side one. So our front diff was literally just bouncing around between our subframe and the oil pan on the motor. You didn't break the oil pan? Uh, it dented the crap out of it, but it didn't break it. Because on those models, they're cast oil pans, right? The, so it's a two-part assembly. The upper portion is cast, and then the, there's like a little lower like sheet metal steel one. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I, I just learned about this 
I was literally doing research on it like two hours ago because I was looking at what we needed to do to replace that section we shattered uh, mm-hmm. this last race. And it's called the upper oil pan assembly. Um, and huh. it's like a big Weird cast enough. piece. But Too And there's hard. all kinds of different ones, which is kind of cool for guys who solid axle swap with like a 4.7 because you have mm-hmm. like five different configurations of oil pan you can choose from to fit oh, your right. axle in there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think it's like the GX one's different, the Forerunner one's different, the Sequoia one's different, and then I think the 100 Series Land Cruiser uh, one as well. But that's kind of rad that you can choose between those two. But um, right. the other time we blew our diff was short course racing in Sturgis last year, and I just blew a corner in dust and smashed into a berm under throttle, and it was like, oh, obviously we're going to break something doing that. Like an instant stop at that point? Yeah. Like when we hit, I thought we ripped the whole, like, a arm and everything out of the truck and it was going to be like catastrophic but truck drove out of it and it was the only thing that happened was our front diff had uh popped a couple teeth and then we ended up racing the whole weekend with the blown diff in there <laughs> <laughs> nice which was pretty because it was short cor- short course so you didn't need four-wheel drive or yeah four-wheel drive would have been awesome for pulling out of the corners and since mm. it's ultra four they slap big rock piles in there so we had oh. to just kind of skinny pedal through all that and beat the truck up pretty good but it did fine other than we got high centered uh in the first heat um and just couldn't get out of it in two-wheel drive but um those are the only two times we've had issues with that front end um we've broken a few cvs but it's in places where you're like oh yeah that's probably going to break a cv axle regardless of mm-hmm. if it's a big 35 spline whatever going into a four nine inch but um it's been nice. We work with CVJ. Everyone's like, get our CVs, get our CVs. And CVJ is local to us and they use OEM, uh, inners and outers. Um, but they do, you can pay a good bit extra and they'll do custom chrome molly parts. So your tripod and bearing and oh, all nice. that is custom machined by them. Um, I know Twan was talking about, um, he called them and they're like five months out on axle shafts, but we never break axle shafts, so we keep bringing our CVs down to them when we break them, and they'll have them ready for us uh, in 24 hours, which wow. has been super, super huge. Um, and they're 30 minutes from us, so it's nice to it's run down there, drop them off. They'll rebuild them, regrease them, reboot them, and have them back to us the next day. Yeah, it's nice so to not have to rebuild huge. your own CVs, too, because that's like yeah. the last thing, at least for myself. I didn't know. I always ran just cheap CVs and I just threw them away. Like, there's no way I'm rebuilding. Yeah, I rip a boot, 100%. I just throw them away and get new I'm a, because I'm a big Napa CV guy on my third gen because it's nice yep, to just bring it sure. in and have them give <laughs> How me a new one. Dozens I've broken. Yeah. It yeah. just makes more sense. Like, oh, yeah, something's broken. Like, I'm just going to, there's no way yeah. I'm rebuilding. They're, yeah. Not unless I spend a lot of money on a, on a CV axle. But they've been but, good. People don't give the OEM parts <coughs> credit either. Like, at Best of the West, we blew a CV axle at some point. I heard it like, clicking and popping but then it kind of just stopped so it's like oh whatever it was probably like just binding a little bit uh, i don't uh, whatever um and kept running it and i go to pull the cv out because um i needed to reboot them because both the inner boots had come off um Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm looking at the cv and there's no bearings on the tripod all the bearings had ejected all the little needle bearings yeah on the it's not even the needle bearing it's like the big uh big roller the big roller bearing on the inner, all three of them were just gone. And the CV was still grabbing fine. Like I ran, uh, Billings, uh, Canyon, uh, uh, presumably with that CV, the way it was. And then I also ran 21 road with Kyle after Mm. that and wasn't easy stuff. And it was just, 
eating it up. No that was problem. over at Best of the West when you guys yeah. went recently. Yeah, like what was that, three or four weeks ago? Time goes by fast, but yeah, I was blown away. I was like, how the hell is this thing still in one piece? Yeah, that's pretty impressive that it's still wrapping. uh, They were able to reuse it without, with it binding up in there with just the tripod with no bearings on it. They were like, oh yeah, it just had a little bit of surface mine, but it's fine. What the hell? Yeah, I was blown away. That's, yeah, yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah. How was that? How was the the West? Oh, it was so much fun. Totally different from racing, huh? Oh, totally different it's nice to not have a helmet on and just kind of taking it slow you know just hanging out not having to just hammer up stuff yeah yeah it was the, the only thing i was really bummed about is our race car didn't have a cup holder in it <laughs> ah so it's time to get like a clamp on one onto the tube yeah well i found the trick uh uh tanner kelber at tko off-road when he sent mm. us our last batch of fire extinguisher mounts he sent me two uh magnetic koozies oh yeah and our new dash they, they is like 16th steel so i was just using the magnetic koozie on the dash and it worked great <laughs> nice <laughs> that yeah. worked tanner yeah, for the win. thanks yeah thanks tanner uh, yeah. but then it was funny i had to actually violate his koozie because um will the following we went out to moab okay. for a board meeting with one of our investors and we wanted to like take him out off-roading and we were out messing mm-hmm. around in moab and will bombed a puddle in his truck hydro locked his truck um and we had to pull the spark plugs out and we didn't have a spark plug socket with us for some stupid reason. So, uh, I pulled all the spark plugs and then I ended up cutting the magnet out of his koozie, putting it Taking on an extension socket. and using the magnet to pull all the spark plugs out. Nice. So I actually funny. did that myself recently. I had a, I had a little like circle magnet and the, I lost the rubber piece that's inside mm-hmm. the spark plug socket. I was like, shit, how am I going to do this? Yeah. yeah, just put a magnet in there and it, mm-hmm. and it works. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know why they do. They should just put magnets in those spark plug sockets. That would work. I think better. the nicer ones have that probably like snap on and stuff that I don't want to spend money on. Yeah, I'm too broke for that. My my tool <laughs> cart's sponsored by Harbor Freight for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, same here. That's yeah. good stuff. But yeah, that uh, best of the West was really fun. We had a blast. Um, everyone <coughs> was giving us crap, like, "Oh, you need 35s and lockers." And um, I lived with Noah up until like two weeks ago, um, and Noah's been going out there with Mike since the beginning. And he's always like, "You guys should definitely come out with the race truck. You'll be fine on small tires because you don't care about your body." But people were out there wheeling the trails on 35s and a uh, first gen uh, Tacoma, um, and it really just comes down to line choice and taking your time and you can get some small trucks through some of those trails if you take your time mm-hmm, definitely so, it was fun it's all, it's a lot of it's just big rocks and diff hangers and belly hold up so if you can pick your yeah. line right and keep your tires high you're chilling out of all those trails that you guys did which one was the more difficult one um i would say billings was definitely more technical um mm-hmm. But die trying was just loose and big rocks and it snowed on us slash rained on us. So then it got wet and mucky. So it yeah. needed, a, it was more of like that P and W wheeling where you need a little more skinny pedal to kind of get up some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the exit, it's just this loose shale, like climb with big rocks, just constantly moving. So it's kind of like hammers in a sense, but some of the hammers trails where mm-hmm. you just kind of yeah, have to hope you don't fall onto your axle or, your belly pan and just kind of keep the momentum up and keep cruising. But that one had a cool exit too, right next to this tree that took out both of our doors. Cause I got a little excited. Um, but <laughs> that one was really fun, but I'd say Billings was probably the most technical, like good, slow 
tire choice, like tire tire line choice, and it, it was really fun. Twenty one road was sick though too. It's just like you're in a canyon that's like undercut, so you're like driving under this like cliff overhang, and it ends oh, up in yeah. this like crazy coves up this canyon. And so it was just cool to yeah. be there in general. Plus, you get to do some yeah. hard wheeling. Yeah, exactly. And that one's, it's always fun. Like it's great wheeling with big groups, but you always have the most fun when it's like one or two trucks with you. Cause you're just mm-hmm. cruising. Like it's super fast and you're not like, okay, I cleared this obstacle. I'm going to hang out and spot and do whatever for the next 10 trucks. So yeah, it's fun to just kind of cruise. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's definitely pros and cons to the big group. As long as you know, you're not going to go anywhere very fast, yep. but it's cool. As long as you, you know, mm-hmm. you're there to hang out, you're really not there to do yep. much. But then, yep, yeah, yeah, it's, it's nice when you can it's actually just a change make some of pace ground. for sure. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. A long time ago, we did a trip to uh, Calico, and we had a little bit bigger group, and it was just taking. We actually did one year, and it was like ten people, and we spent mm-hmm. all day on like a trail that should have taken you know, a couple hours, few hours, you know. And That's so the next nuts. time we went there, <laughs> we're like, you know what? Let's just focus on like hitting as many trails as we can. There's only yeah. a group of like three of us: there's me, Kyle. And Andy, I think. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know Andy Tettenhorst. Yep. But, yeah, I've been uh, me, following along quietly. <laughs> and so, yeah, we did the entire trail. So what the year before, because the group that we were with, it was like 12 hours on the trail. Like, it was stupid. It was mm-hmm. not even fun. And then we did the next one. It was like just over an hour. We did the full yep. loop, which was, you know, most people, it takes like, you know, two, three hours, whatever. But we did like just yeah. over an hour. Like, That's so crazy. It's just, it's crazy how much different you can do things with the right people. Mm-hmm. and just move like andy he doesn't slow down he's they did rubicon in so like six hours or something like that yeah. eight hours so, yeah, i'll be intrigued pretty... uh i've heard like many people are like oh rubicon's a two-day trail i've heard people say they run it and like you just said six hours eight hours we're headed out there um in august for i think it's called the rubathon power tank mm-hmm. invited us out and they want us to bring yeah. the race truck and i think i'm going to bring my third gen out uh and go run it but we'll see how big of a group it ends up being and but I'm excited. Yeah. I haven't wheeled anything out there. And I just had my <laughs> first experience driving through that area uh, on the way out and back from Prairie City. And it's freaking mm-hmm. gorgeous up there. Oh, so yeah. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to do some wheeling There's out some there. Really cool stuff. I mean, it's probably similar in a lot of ways to where you guys are at in the yeah. in the Rockies. Yeah. I've never really spent a whole lot. I've driven through the Rockies. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is that, the 70 or the 80 or whatever? Yeah, I-70. Um, I-70. So yeah, I'm assume it's very similar in a lot of ways yep. but yeah I, I love it up there the sierras are, are just beautiful and i like that it has those cool. big slab rocks too it's a big like, granite rock it's like yeah. moab mixed with the rocky mountains because where we're like out here it's a lot a lot of stuff's like super like shaley and mm-hmm. like kind of breaks like up yeah yeah you don't get those granite. like big ramps of rock to play on and it seems like that's going to be really fun. Yeah, so. it is pretty cool checking that stuff out. And Rubicon's a blast. I mean, I've only done half of it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I ended up blowing out my steering rack partway oh, through, <laughs> and then and then I ended up breaking a stub shaft inside mm-hmm. my diff, and I couldn't replace the CV axle because yep. it was stuck in there. So I ended up turning around. But the, the half that I did do, uh, we were just at hair under halfway, which is why we ended up turning around. Mm-hmm. And it's freaking awesome, especially because – Chances are, if you're going with a group, like yeah. know, an actual event, it's going to take you a couple of days. So just embrace yeah. that it's going to take a while and just hang out. There's a bunch of lakes to go check out. Mm-hmm. And, yep, just hang out. It's, it's yeah, I'm stuck. Blast. I'll definitely bring my uh, RC crawler to fill the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's plenty to do that for yeah. sure. That'll yeah, be fun, a, though. I'm trying to decide here. if I should get anything done <laughs> on my truck before then or just 
do some general maintenance and bring some spare CVs with me. <laughs> yeah, you can probably get through Rubicon without breaking any CVs. I yeah, think I just had a broken it. stub shaft ahead of time because I broke pretty quickly. So I was doing like, yep. like not even a quarter way through the trail. I ended up breaking a stub shaft. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'll just, I have a front locker. I'll just drive three wheel drive. It's not that mm-hmm. hard of a trail. So yeah. I ended up going through and I was trying all like the harder lines and stuff, but eventually Same. the steering rack just gave Done. up the ghost. Yeah. yeah. How's the uh, steering rack on your guys' is holding up the new steering rack off the, uh, it, the 100 series? Uh, yeah, we're running a 200 series rack. Um, the first one uh, held up way longer than I expected it to. When we were building the, we put a 200 series rack in even before we did the Marlin kit and we made okay. it work with the total chaos long travel. We did like custom uh, outers with double shear on the factory spindles. Mm-hmm. And I bought that steering rack. We got it. For, it was like from power steering parts deals.com or something. <laughs> and it was like 180 bucks shipped. Nice. for a full steering rack and i was like there's no way this thing holds up but we were at like proper shoestring budget that was our first year going out to hammers and we were just like trying to make things work and just stock. get the experience of being out there figuring out the logistics of it um and it's funny we actually made it further that year than we did this year um but that rack survived a full season of ultra four um and we replaced wow. it right before uh, actually right after hammers this year. Now that I think about it, we put it in right before our mower brace. Um, and it never properly failed. It just got to the point where it was leaking so much power steering that it was like, you'd have to top it off when we came into pits type of deal. Yeah. So it was still functioning fine. It was just blowing power steering out the seals. Um, and then we got this time we're running an OEM one and I haven't, I we're going down to expo this weekend. So the truck's getting loaded back up on the trailer and we're just going to roll it into the booth, not running just so people can come check it out. But, uh, when I get back, I'm going to pull the diff, the steering rack, we'll get that, uh, upper oil pan assembly replaced. Um, and I got to see if the steering rack's broken too. Cause three times during the last race, we'd be like going through a hard right turn and it would just like basically feel power. like we lost power steering but then it would come back and be totally fine. So I have no huh. idea what that would be. I don't know if we were, if our fluid maybe, was getting or... burnt, maybe we were getting air in the system or something. Um, but just uh, moving it around the shop the last day or two days, it was fine. So I don't know what's going on. Um, it's one of those things. It's like, I know if I just assume it's fine and ignore it, it's going to fail on us at our next race. And yep. if I go buy another steering rack and, either swap it in or have it as a spare, it's not going to be a problem. And that spare steering rack is just going to be a paperweight for like a year. <laughs> yeah. That's usually so, how it is. It's like, you don't need it till you need it. And then it'll, yeah. it'll break at the worst times. Yeah. And tough. it's like, it's always a battle of like, what spare parts should we buy this time? You know, like this last race, we first as our third lap of practice, we come out of the uh, main rock garden and I go to get on the gas and loud pop and, had no drive because I guess we had front wheel drive, but oh, yeah, um, we snapped our freaking pinion. That's so like, crazy because that's not very common to break the pinion on the. No, engine. it's not even common to do that on a 600 horsepower car with the same axle setup. Right. Um, some people gave me some ideas that are definitely a possibility as to why it happens. Like uh, when we went out to Hammers earlier this year, um, we were running a little bit too much down travel. We got a little feisty and we were binding up our uh u-joint um and we fixed it we didn't have any issues with the u-joint like failing or anything we just noticed that it was catching um, and we could see some raw metal 
so we pulled the limit straps up a little bit and solved that problem and adjusted our pinion angle. Uh, so that binding could have put a bunch of stress into the pinion. Uh, Jumping is really hard on the pinion itself, especially if you land in the throttle, which we obviously try not to do. But sometimes you get a little excited when someone's next to you and you want to beat them out yeah. to the next corner or whatever. So it happens. And whoops, like out at Hammers, we were pushing that car the hardest we've ever pushed it in whoop sections. And we're wide mm-hmm. open throttle going through three, four foot whoops. So it's yeah. not easy on that stuff. That not easy at all. Yeah, so I will you, say it lasted. You guys just it with what you guys had for the most part, and then yeah, we ended up. Um, we called Yukon because they're a sponsor as far as uh, gears go, um, and they sadly couldn't get anything out to us same day. Um, they had mm-hmm. parts in stock, but nothing uh, nearby. Um, so it was really cool. They went and started looking for us to help us find something, and they ended up. Uh, one of the big shops in the area we were at is West Coast Gear Supply, and oh, really? they're. Uh, they have like a, uh, a full like service shop, basically they'll build you your parts, but they also work with slash, I think it's the same company. I couldn't really tell Sierra gear and axle, which is obviously a competitor of Yukon, but Mm -hmm. our guy was like, I don't care what parts you guys are running in there. As long as you're racing, it doesn't have to be purple. So let's just get something figured out. So we ended up going over there and we got a ring and pinion from them, um, got it built and in the truck same day. And we sadly missed qualifying, but we started dead last and we're ready the next day on race course. So uh, that was super awesome that they were willing to help us track something down. And regardless of it being their parts or not, they were like, I don't care. As long as you're out there racing, let's just get the car going. Nice. So that was awesome. awesome. Yeah. And Sierra gear and Axel was super cool about it. We're like, sorry, it's sponsored by Yukon, (laughs) but they gave us a a good deal. Um, We paid retail for parts and stuff, but um, I would assume based off of how much they charge us for labor, they gave us a pretty fat discount because it was like 35 bucks to rebuild our rear end. And they gave us gear oil and gasket maker. Yeah, and we did all the fair deal. <laughs> yeah, we pulled the third member in their parking lot and uh, they got rid of all our old gear oil and all the trash and shit. And it, super, super nice guys. So that right. was awesome. Very but cool. Yeah, got that swapped in and carded really good. So we're still working on that freaking front end though to catch it on the jumps i don't know what we're going to do next but <laughs> yeah it's sounds like you guys are pretty limited on abilities yeah. of what you can do ever think about going up to the next level or is it way too competitive to go up to the next level and uh we kind of have class? like a an unspoken rule i feel like between the team it's like we're not going to consider going up to the next level until we're doing well in the class we're in now because if we can figure out how to push our car to keep up with some of the cars in our class now like keeping up with the broncos is kind of a that's the next challenge kind of a daydream uh it's definitely just because they're unlimited budget being sponsored by all the big names yeah they can just do whatever those cars are built by i think um i might have to be corrected by someone so don't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure they're built by geyser bros like the whole chassis Uh, is so it's like it's big money shit. Yeah, those guys build some of the best trophy trucks. Uh, yeah. They build, I think they build the current um, 4400 Bronco Lauren Healy drives. Like, they okay. know what they're doing. So they have like beautiful geometry. The parts that need to be beefed up are beefed up. They know where to cut weight where they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty insane. I mean, those portals, um, the number I've heard getting thrown around, I also don't know if this is true, but the portal set on the front of those 4,600 Broncos is somewhere near the $20,000 mark. Those the 74 um, weld. Portals? Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah, sounds about right. incredibly helpful for 
keeping that front end alive um, with the gear reduction. It gives you better geometry too. Yeah, and you the get board. the belly off the ground. Um, it is pretty interesting though. Uh, if you look outside of uh, overall ride height, um, they're running their trucks pretty cranked up, and we try and do the same with ours. But sometimes it's kind of a balance. Um, the ground clearance at the arms is actually pretty comparable between the RCLT and the long arm kit that they're running with the portal, just based really? off of the shape of the arm. So we, when we first saw that, we were like, hey, that's actually really impressive that Marlin's able to get those arms so tucked up that it rivals a portal. similar setup on portals with yeah. the 35s. So that was kind of interesting to see. But having that reduction there and being able to just push that front end a lot harder would be super super awesome but we're getting a little more trustworthy with it too so i'm staying in the pedal a lot more through some of the stuff like the rock gardens at this last race i was pushing a little harder than i normally would feel comfortable doing um the issue we were running into though is uh i was getting geared out in high which is a bummer because in some of the straight sections we're doing 65 70 miles an hour so you can't do the whole race in low Right. Um, so now we're having that ch- battle of, okay, we're running 488 gears now. I guess it's a 488 in the front and a 486 in the rear. But now we're talking about going to a 529 because um, we find that even when we're on like a flat lake bed, uh, we still mm-hmm. get geared out trying to get to like the top speed. We're not running, you running a five speed or a four speed in the trans. Uh, I think it's the four speed. Um, what year is your truck? 2004. Okay. Yeah. You have the four speed. Yep. Done. And then we just have that FJ, I guess ours is from a fifth gen forerunner part-time case. Um, so some people have been like, you should put a three-speed Atlas in there. Then you can run a mid-range. Yeah, uh, that would be really cool. That's something that I want to yeah. do when on my truck is mm-hmm. long-term is do the, the four-speed Atlas where it has yeah. the 1.5 to 1 ratio. That yep. way you could treat it like as an underdrive. And so mm-hmm. you're out and as long as you're not doing more than like 65 miles an hour, depending on what yep. your gear ratio is in the rear, then yeah. you could you're going to have like that much more power and torque. Mm-hmm. And again, once you figure out that you're going past that, like you just got to know your, your course and you're yep. like, okay, this section, I cannot be in that ratio. Yeah. So like that's what the trophy trucks are running and stuff. Like mm-hmm. they're running uh turbo hydro 400s with the uh, underdrives yep. and that's how they're able to get a decent gear ratio in the rear and still mm-hmm. be able to, you know, do 130 miles an hour. And yeah, in the desert. there's so many crazy things you can do too. Like uh, I was talking to some of the guys out in, uh, prairie city and they'll run uh they'll i forget if it's overdrive or underdrive but they'll run a lower gear ratio in their rear diff so that the front is pulling the rear so that they have better cornering uh and it takes some of the stress off the front diff it's the way they were explaining it was kind of like it kind of mind fucked me a little bit but they were like, Didn't oh, since you already blew sense. your third member, you should go try and track down some like four, five, sixes and then leave the 488s in the front and kind of let your rear uh, overdrive your front end or underdrive your front end, I guess. So your I front's kind of push, pulling you around. Like, yeah. Put, if you got a lower gear ratio in the rear. It would or no, maybe they were trying to tell us to get 529s. That's what oh, it okay. was. So that the rear is it's, being pulled by the front end. Gotcha. Yeah, huh. and they're like, "Oh, that's what we—that's our short course setup." It's like, "What the heck?" <laughs> wow. That's all and then there's some guys like... that are like, "Oh, I only run two-wheel drive, so I can rail the corners and kick the ass end out easier." Totally different from the other guys are doing. Yeah, and it's like there's so many different ways people do these things. Are you guys running a sway bar in the rear of yours? We don't. Um, we've talked about doing it. Uh, part of me, 
I'm like, I, I've since building this truck, the things that we've like complicated and adding added more parts to has always just been like, it's another headache to deal with. Mm-hmm. So like we can rail corners pretty good without a sway bar. Um, I think it would definitely help keeping the oh, front yeah, end sure. uh, planted and put more traction to the inside tires. But uh, for the most part, it's felt pretty comfortable just with um, the setup we have. Our shocks are outboarded and dang near right. vertical. So it, it provides a good bit of stability. Um, mm-hmm. And as we know with IFS, the more you lean, the wider your track width gets and the more planted it gets. So it's kind of like a interesting balance of how much leaning you want, I guess. Um, but right. for the most part, like we've pitched that truck sideways at like 50, 55 miles an hour and it barely carries a tire sometimes. So. Oh, really? Okay. That's yeah. Nice. So it's on the <laughs> list of things to do, but it's not yeah, on the it's short It's definitely list, something that a lot of people, and not until like, at least in my experience of talking to people, is not when, not until you get to like a, the level that you guys seem to be in where people start mm-hmm. realizing like the fine tuning of things. Because especially yeah. in the rock crawling world, it seems like so many people are like, well, why would you have a sway bar? Mm-hmm. Well, sway bar, use it for tuning. You start, you know, you could tune yep. your understeer and oversteer. You mm-hmm. can tune how much front wheel lift you have by putting a rear sway bar on. Yep. You have all these different things that you can tune in and out. And then you just get multiple different levels of bars or just change your your uh, mounting point of mm-hmm. your sway bar end link. And you can play with those numbers over and over yeah. until you figure out what's what's right for you guys. We need to get into it and try it. I think it would be relatively easy to get it set up to get started. Um, we just mm-hmm. haven't yet, I suppose. And Are it works without able- it. Are you guys able to cut at all into the wheel wells to like get a sway bar in there? Nope. You have to run it like underneath the fuel cell or something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The extent of our body modification is big sledgehammer. So, <laughs> and so like you can adding it, you can't material it. as it rips apart. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, some people are it's like, oh, area. you can't touch it at all. But it's like, if uh, my tire's going to do it during the race, because I'm not going yeah, to bump well my travel that low. So I might as well not shred by tire and for the most part most of our massaging has been done by our tires and we kind of just smooth it out and weld the seams shut as they rip open and add sheet metal into the spots that are completely disintegrating um but the rear tub is mostly untouched i did a little bit of hammering just to make some room for our shock tower behind you it so i can do get a little bit of trimming on, on the fender itself right yeah so it's the like rules are written inches that at full bump you can cut two inches above your tire on a fender but in the rear you get into your body really quickly because it's just really that fender flare and then like that pinch weld that comes down um but the front we could cut as much as we want out of that fiberglass um but then you end up getting into your front tub as it is but yeah like when we had we had a lower uniball bolt fail on the total chaos kit um, which was our fault. We were just behind on maintenance and didn't catch the play. Um, but when that tire ripped off and jammed up in the fender well, it gave us all kinds of room to play with. <laughs> it <laughs> folded all kinds of stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. And no one seems to get too worked up about that kind of stuff. Um, like it's kind of a weird spot. Like the Ford Broncos have like this felt fender liner instead of an actual fender well. So mm. they can just remove it and run shocks up into ah. the engine bay. Which is sick, because now I think they're running a 10-inch coil over on the front, or maybe it's a 12, um, you got all that more and it's fluid no capacity. problem. Yeah, and they have way more fluid capacity. I think they're running similar travel numbers. Uh, I actually measured our front end for the first time ever, which people always are like, you 
don't know your travel numbers, it's like, no, I know that it works, but um, yeah, we're running it doesn't like, really matter as long as it yeah. works. If we strap unconservatively for the CVs and kind of let them get near that full bind point, we can get 12 inches of travel on the front. Um, but I strap it an inch above just because it's way easier on it, especially when you're talking full droop, full steering angle. Um, mm -hmm. And we're at 11 inches. On okay, the front. it's not bad. Are you guys running yeah. the two and a half or two inches wider or how much wider? Three and top? a half. Oh, you guys are three and a half. Okay. Yeah, it's Marlin's three and a half kit. Um, they originally released the three and a half kit early on. Uh, and that was like what they were pushing a lot of stuff on. And then they were doing the two and three quarter. Um, but I think currently the only publicly available option from them is their two and three quarter, which is perfect for 90% of things. Like mm -hmm. most of the, like when the we're in rock wide. trails and stuff, I wish that we were skinnier. Like that thing is oh, a yeah. whale. It's so wide. It's so long. It's so easy to get high centered on stuff. Um, and there's times where it's like, oh, this line would be so easy if I could just fit between those two rocks, but I'm two inches too wide or whatever it is. So yep, now I have to drive over it and make it way more awkward for myself. We that's one thing I noticed. We did a, a trail, do the Urgham Trail. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. heard of that one, but yeah. um, Andy, he had, it was only a two inch wider kit, but mm -hmm. he was running 37s and it was just a wide setup. Yeah. And when we were running, I kept noticing it. So I'm stock with, I'm a little third gen. Mm -hmm. I'm squeezing in and out of everything. And I was having no yeah. problem, but he was literally rubbing rock and trees on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Like I'll, I thought to myself at the time, I'm never going going to go too wide on a long travel. Yeah. Well, what am I doing? I'm doing five and a half over long travel. <laughs> <laughs> so it's That's going to be wide. insane. Oh wide. my gosh. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not building it for a rock crawler. Yeah, That's, for where yeah. you guys are at though, like out in the desert, that makes so much sense. To yeah, go that like, wide, like your motion ratio at that point, you can pull so much travel with four wheel drive still. Yeah, it's expected to be about 18 up front. Yeah, so that's gonna be drive. perfect. So I was looking at it less. It's still yeah. I was on Race Desert reading some articles and stuff on our what was I think it took us 18 and a half hours to get home from. Prairie City and we straight shot it but I was reading this article about this guy built a Oldsmobile uh shoot I forget the model of it but it looks like a Chevy Blazer like a old like a 90s Chevy oh, Blazer yeah the and uh, it, Rivera, Rivera, Rivera Bravado yeah Bravado or something like that yeah Bravado yeah and he built that thing it, it's still torsion bar on the front uh it's got like a custom mezzanine arm in the rear right yeah, mezzanine arms in the rear. It only pulls 11 inches of travel in the front, which I was stoked about because I was like, hey, that's what we pull. And he goes fast as hell. Yeah, you don't need a lot. And then I think it. they're pulling like 18 in the rear or something. It could pull a lot more, but I think they strapped it to keep it balanced. But that thing, it seems like it boogies. Yeah, so, I've seen some videos on it. I've been paying attention to it because I'm doing, yeah. obviously, I'm building an SUV as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, and with SUVs that are short wheelbase, like there's only so much you can do. Yeah. So I'm doing a mezzanine arm rear setup on mine and I'm building a freaking. Uh, SUV. So I, I see all yep. these videos of these SUVs like him, uh, Noah Exploder. I don't know if you follow yep. him at all. Yep. But I've seen these guys and I'm just like, see, you don't need to have like some crazy setup to like you, to really. You boost. don't. No. Like a lot of it just comes down to using it, finding what's wrong with it, and like tuning the problems out of it. And that's why mm -hmm. I'm trying to stop changing things on the race truck. Uh, I think we're finally like landed on a shock package that works for us. Um, I know this is probably something that'll be fun to talk about. A bunch of people are asking us why we've gone away from the locked off-road shocks mm -hmm. and we're now running the Kings. Um, I, I have absolutely no problems with the locked stuff. Uh, we ran the absolute crap out of those shocks the first two years we ran them. Um, mm -hmm. 
the biggest issue we had with them is they run metric parts just because ah. they're currently manufactured in China. I know they tried to start uh, do manufacturing with another company and that ended up going pretty south for locked and uh, it's caused a lot of problems with his business just having to mm-hmm. go back and forth between them. And it sounds like he got the short end of that stick and it kind of tainted his name a little bit. So he's working to get his name back up there and figure out, uh, U.S. manufacturing uh, once he can get the capital to attempt to do it again, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we we had good luck with the shocks. We had some issues with uh, ours had the clicker adjusters on there. So even wide open, there was like a port on there and it used like a needle to make it smaller to close off compression. Uh-huh. Um, but we just weren't getting the fluid flow that we needed out of them. So we were hoping to go to a bigger hose setup and he just didn't have the ability to do it at the time. Um, but for like a generic long travel kit on a Tacoma or a forerunner or whatever, you're going to have absolutely no issues with those shocks. And he's been awesome to work with, um, as far as like getting spare parts, good customer service to us. I know it's hard for us to, uh, be relatable to Joe Schmo because obviously we're a race team that he sponsors. So it might be a Mm -hmm. little biased and stuff like that, but that goes with every company that we work with in a racing aspect. So it's kind of hard to. To tell yeah, you how that to goes, but... things to the next level. Yeah, and taking like, not just pushing it, but you're mm-hmm. pushing it for such a long period of time. Yeah, that, like you know, I'm I'm building my forerunner to. I'm not really into racing myself, but mm-hmm. I want to be able to build it to be able to maybe race like 1400 class or something, mm-hmm. just for the fun. Just and so my thought process is like you got to build it. It's not just building it to be able to work. It's building yeah. it to work at a really high pace for a long period yeah. of time, and that's like taking things to a whole nother level. Yeah, I get so impressed by pre-runners in general because so many race teams have these pre-runners that it seems like they just don't get touched. They just work. Yeah. Like they they like prep it for like the season and then they run it all season. And obviously they're running at like a 50% pace from the race truck. But even that, for the most part, is really impressive (laughs) to keep together for a whole year. If you build it right. And mm-hmm. again, you're not limited by any class rules either, depending yeah. on like, what class you're actually racing. You just do you know, something that works. Once you get into like 1400 and you know 6100 classes, like yeah, there's unlimited. You can build wherever you want, basically. Yeah. Um, but that's what's cool about pre runners is like do whatever works. You you, do, yep. you can get as creative as you want. You can get whatever parts you want. Like mm-hmm. yeah, that's what makes it fun for sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, continuing the, the shock thing, uh, we're now running King race series uh with the finned resis uh two fives and they have the uh it's cool the resi has a diffuser inside of it so it basically as the push the oil everywhere as the fluid comes into the reservoir it like sprays it from Ah, from my understanding and it sprays it to the outside of the resi so that it gets as close to the fins as possible to help cool it down faster uh, wow. And I could be totally wrong in how that works. When I was looking at the diagrams and talking to a guy about it, he, that's kind of how they explained it to me, um, which is super rad. Uh, it also has a bigger uh, hose diameter so we can move a little bit more fluid a little faster. Um, but overall, we're having the same issues tuning these as we were those lock shocks. So it's not like guys, we went to King and all our problems were solved. We're running the same. The, are you guys noticing the, the biggest issue is just like literally tuning or is it tuning while still being able to contain the heat? Like what's we're not having heat about? issues. It's no? uh, a little bit like obviously we get shock fade just like everyone does. Mm. Um, the hard thing for us is 
the extent of shock fade we get in a race application is a lot more than we ever find in a testing application. Cause especially mm. out of hammers, like you're running for nine hours sometimes. And yeah, you never get a chance to really let them. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they'll just continue to kind of build heat. And then as they hold heat for hours and hours on end, you start to get some seal degradation and the fluid mm. starts to get a little less viscous and it's pretty nuts what happens to a shock over time, but we can go run our car for an hour and a half and you can hold your hand on the shock body. No problem. So really? So it's that's not really good... the heat. That's your main yeah. issue. It's mm-hmm. more of, so it's just that the small two and a half diameter piston. Yeah. There's only so much valving that there's you only can so much you can fit. do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like out of hammers on our, uh, one setup we were running, we ended up actually like breaking a shim stack. Like it shattered <laughs> a shim inside the shock just because of how much we were trying to slow that fluid down. Um, wow. Yeah, but another thing that's been nice about running the most popular shock is at races, it's easy to find spare parts. Like, you can go into anyone's pits, and they're like, oh, yeah, I have King 2.5 parts because everyone runs King or Fox or ADS, which is a bummer for a company like Locked who's trying to push their way into the industry and are stuck with outsourcing to China and running metric parts. Yeah. So I feel for him in that aspect. And he totally understands why we switched our shock package and has, we have no bad blood or anything like that. We're still running his bump stops, which have been holding up awesome. And we beat the living hell out of those things. Like we've folded mounts into our frame on multiple occasions (laughs) and the bump stops are just there hanging out ready for the next, next race. So very cool. That's That's good. Yeah. What else uh, have you guys been struggling with in regards to like your, your truck, you know, building a race track? Like I, obviously shocks seems like the, mm-hmm. that's gotta be the number one. It sounds like to really yeah, push that's you the guys main, to the next level. Main thing. What about like, uh, like, obviously your rear axle, you blew the pinion mm-hmm. out. That's pretty crazy. I yeah. saw something recently about brakes. Didn't you guys blow out a brake rotor or a brake hat or something like that? Yes. Yeah. That was kind of an interesting uh, thing. So we run a, basically the cheapest fabbed nine inch housing you can buy that we found. Uh, we're running the trail gear mm-hmm. rear housing and it's, you can get the full roller kit for somewhere around like, I think it was like 3,400 bucks or something. Oh, wow. Um, and I think we got it a little cheaper during their black Friday sale, but that is a, a housing that's your bearing pockets. That's your brakes. That's, uh, what else did it come with? You have hubs too. I think we ended up buying hubs, I think separate or no, it are you came guys with running the hubs. We bought out style or are you guys running unit bearing style? Hubs? It's a Dana 40 or a Dana 60 unit bearing with oh, okay. uh, welded bearing. in pockets. Gotcha. Um, which is nice cause they're easy to replace, but they're okay. pretty pricey. I think it's like four, always, 400 get, bucks a bearing. If you wanted to upgrade, you could always get like spider tracks hubs too. Yeah. The same spider and tracks runs unit bearings for both early model and later mm-hmm. model super duty stuff. Yeah, I want to try theirs because um, our front unit bearings on this is probably going to be a controversial thing. Everyone's like, you need to upgrade your bearings on your front suspension to keep up with uh, racing and all that stuff. We're running the factory unit bearings that came on this truck when we bought it. They have 230,000 miles. And how many race miles and hours of that? That's yeah, like- that's almost three seasons of racing, and we have not replaced them. <laughs> that's insane that they're holding up. They have play, but it hasn't I'm, gotten worse. So we just I just spent keep big money it. on front uh, front hubs, yeah, and race hubs. Uh, I'm worried I assume about they're that. OEM. I have no idea. Um, That's but yeah, crazy they have, that you're still on those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have very minor play. Like 
it's noticeable for sure. And it's like, we're kind of getting to that point of like, yeah, maybe we should put some new ones in, but I'm kind of having fun seeing how long they can last. But we like <laughs> fully exploded a Dana 60 hub, at least the trail gear one. Like it separated uh, at nationals last year and we didn't realize it until we got home. But the only thing holding our whole uh, hub assembly together was our caliper. Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. Like from keeping the whole axle, everything just falling out of the thing. Like the bearing had, there's like a lock ring on the Mm. bearing that keeps everything preloaded and stuff. And it literally stripped out of the threads. Wow. Yeah. And it's happened multiple times. Uh, Scotty at addicted off road is running the same setup in his buggy and he had his separate at hammers this year. Um, and I was messaging him about it and I was like, is this like, have you had this happen before? And he was like, no, I'm blown away that this even happened. Um, so that was interesting. Um, but as far as the brake issue we had, the rotors that came with that kit are a two piece rotor that's Mm -hmm. held on with, I think six little, uh, button head bolts. Mm -hmm. Um, and the kit just comes with the bolts, uh, your, uh, rotor cap and the rotor itself. Um, and at first we were just like, oh, we'll just run lock Loctite on it. I think it came with some little lock washers, like split lock washers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always just had issues with those backing out during races. And they're in a spot where it's kind of hard to come into pits okay. and check your check your things, even if with torque stripe on it. Um, so I switched to a different kind of lock washer this time. Uh, got a different bolt style. Um, and I used a copious amount of Loctite this time. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. They, they lasted this race. I was looking at them when I got back, and they're fine. But I asked Trail Gear about it. I was like, why don't you guys just make a one-piece rotor? That would be way easier for, uh, for us guys. and less maintenance. Yeah, and they yeah. basically told me that we need to prep our car better. So I was like, okay, what thanks, guys. Two-piece rotors are actually really common in the racing world uh, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Uh, what are these other guys doing? Are these other race teams with, you know, might, it might not be a Trail Gear particular mm-hmm. issue, but, like, are they running, like, safety wire through there? Safety wire, yep. So, so time to yeah that's what the spider tracks uh guys always do when they're when i look at their setups on their axles they the spider tracks set up that they run with the willwood calipers um they have safety wired bolts all the way around but they also have a lot more bolts i think it's like uh eight or ten bolts going all the way around the rotor versus r6 so it gives gotcha. you a little bit more room so if one backs out you're not going to lose your whole rotor yeah. off your brake hat but um, yeah so we've been told to safety wire i have no experience safety wiring things but um if, if we lose trade. it again yeah if we lose it again we'll definitely be watching youtube on how to safety wire things <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty much that's how our whole car is people are like oh you should try this or do this and i'm like i don't know how to do that but all right let's find out yeah time to learn yeah a lot of yeah. people ask me too because they see like me chopping up my truck and stuff mm-hmm. they're like man, like, it's crazy, like, what you're doing. I'm like, dude, I, I'm learning all as I go. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I see what people do, and yeah. I'm like, all right, I like that idea, and mm-hmm. I've learned how it works and understand why they're doing stuff, and yeah, all right, I'm going to do it now. I have no experience doing it, but, hey, mm-hmm. we all got to start somewhere. Exactly. You know, I always try to tell people, it's like, you don't have to be smart or good or yeah. anything. You just do it and practice. Yeah. Like, we have absolutely no idea what we're doing <laughs> with this. <laughs> like, I, I learned to weld, not, like. On the racetrack? 
basically on the race truck i had i had like welded a few small things and like fixed some stuff on my truck beforehand but like my first big welding project was our roll cage <laughs> that's insane to think yeah about like that. i didn't know you how guys to just straight into tubes it. i didn't know how to bend tubes like i was watching all these youtube videos and we just started slinging tubes together and tacking it up and full welded it in the night and some of the welds are definitely not the prettiest but it passes tech and i trust it to save us um we i definitely went a little overboard on the amount of tubes in the truck which looking back on it i'm like yeah we probably should have done this at an inch and three quarter instead of two inch or that tube's totally unnecessary but i was (laughs) nervous that because you guys can do two inch main main structure then all like the short tubes you can do inch and three quarter right yeah and we just went all in and made the whole thing out of two inch. So it's yeah. heavy. So yeah, that might, that's, that's dumb, something up. we want to redo at some point. We also went cheap and our whole cage is uh, welded hot roll instead oh, really? of DOM. Yeah. Cause it, it passes the, the rules for ultra four, but if we ever want to go race like score or do like the Baja 1000 or do Nora <coughs> or something like that, they require mm-hmm. a DOM roll cage. Um, yeah, you can't so. have like a welded seam. So uh, at some point we're going to rip the cage out and do a main, uh, like the B pillar, like basically the whole front cab structure will be out of two inch DOM. And then all mm. our support tubes will be inch and three quarter DOM. So we can kind of cut some weight down and I'll definitely yeah. make it a little less aggressive. Um, especially being in a full body vehicle, you have the whole structure of the vehicle also supporting the truck so you you can go a little less aggressive versus like a full tube chassis where the only thing saving you is your tubes is your guys's cage tied to the body or is it just go through yeah so we started um per the rules you could run sandwich plates just to your body so we started there um then we started tying things things into the roll cage without replacing our body mounts and doing all Mm -hmm. that and we were running into issues with tubes cracking and uh, stuff like that between the body flex. Mm -hmm. So then we, on our sandwich plates on the bottom, we now have outriggers that go to the frame at the A, B and C pillar. Um, And then we replaced our front body mounts with just a straight up tube. Um, And then uh, the rest of our body mounts are kind of obsolete at this point, but we technically still have them to pass rules because you, you can't get rid of your body mounts. But you just do like solid spacers instead or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, or they just don't do much anymore. There's still rubber in the spots that are factory body mounts. They just mm-hmm. don't do anything. Cause everything around it is now it's solid steel too. Yeah. Did you guys Which, notice a lot of difference when you guys tied everything together and like the way the vehicle felt? Yeah, it feels awful. It's awesome. <laughs> Every <laughs> little awful. bump, like that's the part that I'm not looking forward to. Yeah. It's loud as hell. It rattles the heck out of you. Uh, limit straps when those catch now it's like it? jarring. Yeah. Like wow. when we first did it, I thought, uh, we were topping out our coilovers cause it was just so aggressive when the front limit straps would catch when we droop it out. But we're like an inch away from topping out the coilover at like full droop with some room for the strap to stretch. So it's like, all right, I guess that's just how loud it is now. Damn. And all the sheet metal and stuff without like with no rubber, it's insane how much input you get into the truck, especially with like solid link mounts, um, running Himes and stuff. It's pretty gnarly. But once you're, when you're in a race with your helmet on comms going motor screaming, you don't notice any of that. It's not. Yeah. That's the last thing you're worried about. It's like when you're out wreck wheeling with no helmet and you're just like bouncing through a trail and you're like, Jesus, this thing rides like crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's good. Yeah. 
Are you guys You're able to run internal bypasses on your we are in your class? Not. I not don't think. No one does. I haven't read into Probably it not. enough to be like, I, I highly doubt it. Yeah, I'm um, gonna say, cause that could be another thing you can look into. Because it's like you have to shot. run a, a smooth body, which technically a IBP is a smooth body. Technically so, on the outside. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm sure someone not. will try and do it and get yelled at or something. But that's something I'd have to go talk to our class reps about. And our class reps are like proper, like hardcore OG 4600 guys that are like, if you don't like the rules, don't race in the class. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, it seems, yeah, it's a hard class to be in. I don't know how you guys do it. It's, it really is mind-blowing. Yeah. That class is even, you're able to even be in that class. Cause I know. At least my, anything I do is I'm always like, ah, fuck it, I'll just cut it out of the way. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. You know, the, on my other yeah. four, on my 400, I, the front end start cracking. What I do, I just cut it at the firewall and just start yep. over. You I would love do to do that. I've added so much sheet metal to that front clip because it is just falling apart. We can't keep headlights on because between the flex of everything, uh, it just breaks the tabs off the housing. So we're going through headlight housings like water because you have to run factory style headlights too. Oh, so you can't so, run. Yeah. So you can like gut your you cut them out and then and put like pods in there and stuff, but it mm-hmm. has to be the factory style housing. So we've been working with BX and they always hook us up with headlights. And this last race, we had to run the factory ones we had pulled off just because they couldn't get us some new stuff in time. But it's so like the things you don't think would be an issue are an issue, which is like our grills falling apart just from smashing around up front. It's like we're like JB welding our grill back together (laughs) all the time. Um, What else is like, like our roof rattles like crazy. All this sheet metal has like unbonded from the, like cross supports and I need to get in there and just like weld it back together, but our roof's yeah. wrapped. So I don't want to put hot weld on it and melt our wrap on the top. So I might just shove like a pool noodle in there. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. That's, that's an option, I guess. Or just do some of that sound deadening. That might help yep. a little bit. Yeah. Pool noodles might be a little cheaper, but <laughs> yeah. And less weight. Yeah. That sound doesn't get heavy for sure. It does. It adds up quick. It'd be nice, but do you at guys the end still of the day, have, it's just uh... another noise. Do you guys have like any creature comforts in there, like radio, AC, or anything, or you got it all of it? It's all we have heat still, but we don't have the controller in there right now. And we kept the heat because we wanted the extra um, cooling capacity that your heater course provides you with. You guys run it wide open all the time? Um, Heater valve? It's like half, just so it doesn't bake us out on a hot day, but it's definitely (laughs) still running, which helps. I mean, that's the perk of racing a Toyota is we have never had heating issues. And now that I said that we probably will, but like, it was funny. We're sitting on the start line at this last race and it was dang near a hundred degrees. And all the guys in our class either have their trucks turned off or they're sitting there revving it up, trying to get their fans to go. Cause they're overheating and we're idling, just hanging out in our trucks at 185. Nice. Do you guys have any issues with trans getting hot or you guys run a big trans cooler? Uh, the, we run the factory trans cooler that came on the truck and we don't even run a gauge, but wow. it's never looked bad. So we just That's keep impressive. sending it. Yeah. Yep, you guys are wild. Issue with that. Yeah. It's pretty funny. People always give us crap because they'll like look into our car and they're like, where's all your gauges. And it's like, Oh, it's right here. And I just have like a little scan gauge plugged in. We have <laughs> volts on there. We have engine temp. Uh, I got RPM on there cause our tax gone. And then oh, what's the last thing I have on there? Oh, intake air temp. Oh, okay. 
and that's it. our speedos the low range gps speedo but eventually i need to do i really would like to add a fuel pressure gauge um that's a big one we don't even have a fuel gauge so i'd like to add a fuel gauge so like when we're doing short course racing we can only run like four gallons as opposed to being like i don't know how much gas is in there so we should probably just kind of top it off a little bit yeah all those little things right yeah and it's now you get the vehicle kind of a little bit more dialed you can spend more time on to the little things that Mm -hmm. can help get you ahead yeah, but it's kind of nice, like, as a driver, too, like, you don't really pay attention to too much stuff with the car. You're literally just focusing on how do I get from point A to point B as fast as possible. So your co-driver takes on so much responsibility of, as far as, like, watching temps, making sure that, like, they're listening to the car and feeling it out to make sure things aren't weird, um, watching the GPS to make sure you're on course. Obviously, that's not very important at a short course race, but for hammers, like, the navigation aspect of it's it's, it's nearly impossible for them to go out and perfectly mark 180 miles of course. So you got to know right. when to turn, like make sure you're on course. You got to hit your VCPs so that you don't get penalized for cutting corners on accident or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Are those marked at all? The VCP? Yep. Yeah. So when you get the GPS file from them and load it into your low rants or lead nav or whatever uh, system you you're running, those, you like, can see you the VCPs. And then at big races like that, you get a, it's called racing tracks. And I don't know if the new series is going to be running those, but it's like what the trophy trucks have and it communicates with other cars and it'll tell you when you hit your VCP. So like if oh, you so ever, start cutting. yeah, so you can hit your VCP and you're like, all right, I just got to get to the next one basically. Um, and it, you, I've seen it at like the Baja 1000 watching down there. You'll, you'll see them drive right through course but their VCP doesn't hit. So then they got to turn and burn, do like a U-turn and circle back around and hit their VCP so that they don't get penalized, even though they're like five feet off of it or something on a different line, that, which is that, pretty hilarious. It's like a hundred yards or something. Yeah. Isn't I think it? the rules, like you have to be, uh, for our, our series, it's, uh, 50 feet. Oh, 50 feet. Oh, that's for the most close. part. And it changes like rock trails, I think are 50 feet. And I think like desert, like when you're out on the first lap, the desert lap, I think it's like a hundred feet, which isn't much. No, that's super close. Yeah. yeah I was so, thinking it was like a hundred yards, but damn hundred feet. No, you have to be right on no, the money then. They get you in there. Um, it's still enough to like kind of cut some corners or if you're like bombing a straight section and you have uh, traffic in front of you, you can get off into the line next to it. So you're not eating their dust, um, gotcha. which is nice to have that opportunity. Cause it's way safer. Like this year in the 4,400 class, someone got freaking smoked by a car doing like, I think it was like 9,500 miles an hour. And they were doing like 30, which oh, is wow. like basically a dead stop rerun. And it wadded the car up really bad. So having the opportunity to get into different lanes when you're in heavy dust is nice. All those little things that you don't even think about until you get into racing. Oh my gosh. It's wild. There's so many. Another thing that always caught me by surprise early on when, especially out of hammers, um, we race after a lot of the big cars. So the course gets so unbelievably rutted out and Mm. having belly clearance is so important in a rutted out course. Um, the first year we ran it pretty much every decent G out, we would just bury our skid plate in the, in the dirt just because you're already soaking up all of your 35 inch tire clearance over factory mm. just in the ruts. So then any little like compression, we were putting you're our belly in the ground. It. Yeah. So yeah, like people always sense. like build you their cars like 40s and 42 inch tires yeah. with 800 horsepower. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not even like the suspension soaking up the hit fine, but your bump stop ends up being your skid plate in the race course. So you're not even using your full up travel. So that was a pretty big learning curve because I was all going into this. I was of the mindset of, I love big tires and really low ride height. Like my third gen used to (laughs) sit uh, about, it was like a quarter inch above factory ride height up front with Mm -hmm. the 35s. And it was awesome. Um, but now getting into racing, I see how important it is to have a Absolutely. ton of belly clearance. So like our race truck sits at, I don't know if you probably measured it out, hub defender off a of factory setup, it's probably sitting at four inches of lift in the front and the oh. rear is sitting at like six. And that's just so you can have up travel and clearance. Yeah. And in the rocks, just keeping your belly out of the, the rocks is huge. And the truck's wide enough to stay planted. Like if you were trying to do that on a TJ, it might get a little awkward and it's probably easier to roll over. Um, or like a Toyota pickup. I know some of those guys that run really high ride height roll pretty often. So we're, we're lucky in that regard, but the belly clearance is so important and up travel is very nice. So yeah, when you, you can run basically so all up travel, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's kind of awkward, but it's, it's more comfortable than hitting it like 40, 60 or whatever most people run. But like on our front end, we probably only have about three inches of down travel at the tire at ride height, mm-hmm. but that's what we need to do. That's the only way we can get the truck around the course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to have that clearance. Yep. You can't run bigger tires. Otherwise that would be mm-hmm. what you do. You just typically, you just increase yep. your tire size and every inch literally is a huge difference. Yeah. And we've found ourselves limiting our up travel more than most people would enjoy to see. Cause it's, it seems like this, uh, all the hardcore IFS rock crawler guys are like up travel is king cut everything out of the way. But we've found that it really doesn't work in our, our situation. Yeah. You can't in the first place, but second is you're just going to hit. Yeah. That makes sense. Like we're running a a four link with 35s and all custom geometry. And you see everyone that does that and builds their truck like that. They're cutting out their whole rear tub to make room for their tire and we don't even touch our tire and we haven't cut anything in the back, but that's what wow. works for us because it keeps our belly out of the ground. Isn't and we crazy? still, yeah, we still get is. great articulation. The truck still crawls awesome, but it's mm-hmm. just the whole thing just sits higher. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's weird that mm-hmm. that's what your, that's your guys' challenge. It just I'm works. Cut, I'm cutting almost to the window. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so, like, on my third gen, I'm like, oh, I know it works really well in our race truck. So why would I go through all that work to cut a shit ton of stuff out of the way when I know I can just set up my rear suspension so that my up travel is like full bump is set up where I'm not eating everything. I'm going to go a little higher just because mm-hmm. third gens are tippy as hell. Um, and I want that that truck to be a little more planted, but I don't foresee myself cutting anywhere near as much as you do <laughs> <laughs> right but for your uh, application you notice, it's going to work awesome and you're going to do run a notice, lot bigger tires so uh, i'm actually i think i'm going to end up sticking with 37s really so i like I'm the sporties on there <laughs> i know right yeah i got some 39s at the house and i'm kyle's like just run mm. 40s just do it just do it yeah but, but if you're not I, doing that big front diff i don't know if that's the way to go <laughs> yeah and I'm really not building it to be a rock crawler. So one mm-hmm. of the questions I was going to ask you is, do you notice like your clearance issue? Is it mostly rocks or do you see a lot of it in the desert, um, too, in the two track stuff? The only time I see it in the desert is when we're on race course, when it's, it's rutted out. And, and yeah, because some of those ruts are 
close to a foot deep. Yeah, so. I've driven on the race course in my mm-hmm. current vehicle. I have 33s and like no lift yeah. really. And yeah, I'm like literally like almost touching it, just mm-hmm. driving, not even yeah. going fast. I've... So. Oh, that was you. Sorry, I got a phone call, so my phone freaked out. Um, I've always wanted to get out in the middle of race course and just take a picture of the truck sitting in the ruts to see uh, what it looks like. Because I'll bet you there's no more than, I don't know, five inches of clearance to our belly just in the first sitting. Box, you're hitting. And every time you're geeing out and hitting, you're getting your belly in it. And we've learned to kind of combat that by not driving in the ruts. And you kind of end up like doing some weird crab walk things in the corners and stuff. But it's... Mm pretty much the only way to keep your front end alive and not like we used to crack radiators all the time because we'd just come down and it would push that cross member into the radiator and pop it open. Yeah. So beef up that cross member or what'd you guys end up doing? Yeah, we half mooned it so bad that we couldn't even get skid plates to mount anymore. So we had to cut it out and replace it with some quarter wall tube, um, which is nice that we can do that. Um, as long as we don't get a competitive advantage of clearance and like move it, you're fine to okay. cut out and reinforce and replace. Um, you just can't move it for competitive advantage. So like we can't cut out our T case cross member and clock our T case and move it up and get it out of the way. We have to run it where it sits. Ah, oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Which Damn. sucks because the fourth gen has a lot of low hanging fruit on the belly. Yeah. And yeah, we could third make gen up... said about the same as or actually probably mm-hmm. higher than fourth gens in regards yeah. to belly clearance yeah all the cross members sit below the frame rails it's like this is stupid <laughs> <laughs> and there's room to move it up there like if toyota wanted to from the factory they could have had a completely smooth belly but it'd be nice to do smooth belly with just a big old fat skid plate with uhmw on it and call and it a day across everything yeah but it's a little more challenging than that sadly damn but yeah that's that's, that's- challenging see so yeah, what i was getting to uh, earlier was uh, in regards to, like the bigger tires for my own application was my goal is to be able to go like do baja trips and mm-hmm. you know pre-running and stuff like you're seeing yeah. i'm sure with your stuff you're probably seeing a lot more abuse in your drivetrain and stuff yep. in like going fast whereas mm-hmm. rocks you're not i mean yeah you're binding up your cv axles and yep. stuff but my biggest worry is running bigger tires is you know yeah i have a bigger horsepower motor and I have an mm-hmm. upgraded transmission, but my worry is if I run big tires, I'm going to be tearing up transmissions. I'm going to be, yep. I'm getting nicer hubs, but I'm still worried that it's just, I want to be able to be reliable yeah. is really my goal. So 37s with the way I'm overbuilding it with nice hubs, mm-hmm. you know, good transmission and all that. I'm hoping that it'll be reliable. Like those pre-runners we were just yeah. talking about, how like they race prep it once a season mm-hmm. and they go out and they pre-run for hundreds yeah. of miles. I'll say this, uh, when we're like out just pre-running and like cruising, um, and you're not going over a whip section at dang near red line, trying to just carry as much speed as possible. That is so much easier on the car than just getting that like extra 20%, 30% speed out of it when you're like pushing it that last little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would assume that you're going to be able to keep it fairly reliable as it sits, as long as you're not like oh, I'm on top of the whoops, I'm going to foot to the floor uh, and carry through this whole thing, which <laughs> is really fun to do. But yeah. if you're like getting into it and like you're driving the desert sections as if you're cruising down the highway and not trying to get five miles per gallon, which is totally doable. You can carry good momentum without pushing too much power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of why we actually did uh, 
pretty good the first year we raced hammers we came into it with the mindset of let's just see how far we can get mm-hmm. so we went out there as if we were on like a trail day and just we pushed crazy. a little harder obviously like we bounced through some stuff and we weren't like hanging our head out the window like watching our tires crawl over the rocks but mm-hmm. we had the mindset of let's just keep the car together and go as far as we can until someone tells us to stop and we ended up in traffic and the car was completely fine and we could have kept going but we ended up timing out because we were waiting for other people to get through shit so then this year we came into it and we were like let's push hard and get in front of all those uh people that are going to be slower and uh it was working really good until we lost our alternator and had to swap our alternator on the side of the trail which if you've ever swapped an alternator on a four seven it is a royal pain in the ass and it took us about an hour and 10 minutes to do it oh shit so we lost all of our momentum uh and we ended up at the back and then our limit strap ripped off so it's just like oh this wasn't our year (laughs) (laughs) well now you go into it learning a little bit more and hopefully hopefully this coming year you guys are able to finish hopefully yeah i'm stoked we had a spare alternator too Um, some people don't carry that kind of stuff so i was like hey we got one of these in the in the box let's go you normally carry that stuff Mm -hmm. yeah for races like hammers yeah uh, it's really nice to be able to be self-contained and, um, do quick changes and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, like we don't like some people carry an absurd amount of spare parts and it's like, there's a line, like if we carried every important spare part for our truck, our truck would weigh 500 pounds more than it needs to. Yeah. So like we carry, um, we have two spare limit straps in the box. We have a inner tie rod for the 200 series rack. We have an assortment of hose clamps and random, uh, like fuel line, like soft line Mm -hmm. that we can use to like fix power steering issues, or, um, we can use, we can cut it up and protect a resi. If there's like a hole getting formed or something in there, um, a shit ton of zip ties. We got lug nuts. Um, we got a full tool roll, uh, with wrenches. I carry an impact, um, spare CV axle. We only carry one. Uh, we talked about carrying two at one point, but if we're going through two CV axles, then we're doing something wrong already and we have bigger problems probably. Um, what else do we have in the box? We have oil, uh, obviously we have JB weld, we have coolant. Um, we have two camelbacks full of water. So if we blow through our coolant and need more water, we usually have water too. uh, spare drive shaft, um, full set of belts and a, like random assortment of hardware and i'm pretty sure that pretty much sums it up okay nice so, so it's it nothing overall insane. simple nothing too crazy but yeah. you still carry a, quite a bit of mm-hmm. stuff that seems important drive shaft tvs all that yeah so. like we we talked about carrying like a unit bearing for the front end at some point but it's like if we're dropping the whole front front end off the truck like we're going to have other problems other than yeah you're going to just swap our out unit bearing. And... yeah <clears throat> and so. in a race like that you have what two two pits that you can maybe limp to and yeah so hammers we have there's actually a ton of opportunity to pick so you have three different pits set up mm. out there you have main pit obviously which is at like the short course at hammertown mm-hmm. then you have uh remote pits one and two uh, remote pit one, you go through on your way out of Hammertown and then on your way back into Hammertown. And then you go through Maine. So then you hit your main pit if you need to. Uh, and then you go back out into the rocks. 
And this year you actually hit remote pit one again on your way out to the rocks. So you hit remote pit three times and then you go into the rocks, come out, hit remote pit two, go back into the rocks again, and then you can come back out. And I believe we didn't make it this far, so I'm not 100% sure or remember correctly, but I think you hit remote pit two one more time before you turn and burn back into the desert to finish off. So that's wow. what? So there's plenty of six, opportunity six to... opportunities to hit pits. So nice. that sounds like awesome. a lot, but in between those, it's, there's a lot yeah. of abuse and in between you're <laughs> completely on your own too. Cause, uh, hammers is a no chase race. So like if you break 10 miles from pits and you don't have the parts, you're hoofing it and running 10 miles to your pit oh, and running shit. 10 miles back. If that's what you think is the best option. Like last year, uh, we were, um, out doing, uh, some volunteering on course and mm. 10, uh, what was it? It was like 200 yards from where we were, uh, course marshalling or whatever. Um, Waylon Campbell ran out of gas and, uh, not another two miles ahead of him. Another 4,400 car ran out of gas. I think it was, uh, Jason Scherer and his co-driver was like some crazy athletic dude that does like marathons and shit. And he ran, I think four and a half miles to pit put a gas can on his back and ran four and a half miles back to the car, got it fueled and then, uh, made it in, fueled the car and they ended up placing like super well still. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. And Waylon just waited for someone in his class, uh, to come through who was like not doing well. They were basically like trying to limp their car back on course and they mm -hmm. rolled into a pit and picked up gas or something and brought it to him. He got gas and he made it in and he still finished too. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> but it, like pretty wild. you have to leverage the either I'm going to run to pits or someone on course that's currently racing is going to help me kind of deal. So the it's pits is really yeah. just as long as you have shit with you, then mm -hmm. you can work on it in the pits there. And yep. they probably yeah, have pits is unlimited. Like we were welding shit on our car at main pit. Um, some guys uh, from Canada had this like sick welding set up on a semi truck and they backed it into our pit before we got there and they welded our limit straps back on before we took back off, which was pretty awesome. Very cool. So there's some rad yeah. stuff going on in pits. I have just as much fun pitting for a team as I do racing. It's yeah. it gets you going so much. You learn so much about the car. Um, you get just as involved and hyped up about the race and how the car is doing. Uh, it's it's fun to be a part of it. So if any of you guys ever have the opportunity to pit for a team, whether it's on like a small series race or whatever across the country or Ultra Four or Baja, definitely definitely do it it's a blast yeah sounds like it'd be a lot of fun yeah because you get to work on race cars yep. <laughs> and help out and, and, and you get to see cool shit and hang out in the desert <laughs> yep exactly that's, that's all we ever want to do it seems like anyways so awesome man well anything else you want to say to the people listening i mean if you don't follow us check us out sherpa motorsports on instagram uh sherpa ec for the rack stuff um it's a little overlandy for a lot of you guys probably but we like to go beat our stuff up in the rocks and go play so hopefully you guys get a kick out of that um you guys do a little bit of mix of everything yeah we like to push race like cars push that our and racks are ready for that kind of stuff so, nice. and then like, besides racks do you guys do anything else um for the most part it's just the racks we're working on getting into some more cool stuff but um, we might get into, uh, we've been working on a bed rack for way too long now. And we're totally going back to the drawing board on that just cause the whole like generic bed rack thing is kind of 
it's a pretty well-filled market and there's actually some really cool stuff out there as it is. So we're going to, mm. uh, try and do something cool that not many people are doing right now. Um, so for you Tacoma Ranger guys, it might be kind of exciting. Um, no information to be said on that right now, but, uh, we okay. have some cool we'll, ideas going. So we'll keep an eye out. Yeah. But yeah, outside of that, um, my personal Instagram, I guess is a dot Flemster, uh, WP Oliver. Um, that's will that's his Instagram, uh, derpiful that's Hayden's, um, check us out. Uh, Hayden's got a sick Tacoma. Will's got a fourth gen forerunner. It's currently getting a motor swapped out cause of a little, uh, water action, but yeah, we're always, we're always going on cool trips, posting cool stuff, trying to wheel. You guys document it well too. That's one thing yeah, that we I try to. you guys, you guys are really good at documenting your races, your trips. You know, that's, yeah. that's how I it's started following you. Just, you're always doing stuff. You're always yeah. sharing. Yeah. Um, like right now I'm, this is my last day at the shop and I just got back. Uh, we got here at three in the morning on Sunday from Prairie city. And now we're heading down to Flagstaff tomorrow oh, for wow. Overland Expo. And then I'm of that age where I have like eight weddings to go to this summer. So my summer is like packed full. So I'm trying to squeeze all these things in. Uh, I know it was hard for us to get this scheduled, but I'm glad it worked out today. So, yeah, it's awesome, man. I really appreciate you guys being able to take the time and, you know, get you on here and it's good yeah. chatting and learn a little bit about what you guys do and all the craziness of racing. Yeah. I'd be we'll happy to do it again sometime. This is fun. Hopefully one of these days I can actually get out there and watch you guys race. Right. Yeah, it seems you were at Hammers. Uh, was that the year before we raced that we bumped yeah. into you out there? Yeah, yeah that was the year, year before we raced. I think that was the only you time. You live so close, man. You got to get out there again. <laughs> yeah, the last two years I haven't gone. Just yeah, too much going on. Work, work gets too busy. So yeah, I know how that goes. We keep having the conversation of like at some point we're going to have to miss some of these races to catch up with our personal life. <laughs> yep, that's. But, yeah, sometimes you have to just make a decision. That's why I stopped all my other hobbies because right. I realized like if I really want to do stuff, it's like I have a family, I have a business, yeah. you know, kids and all that. It's like I don't have time nor can I fund any more hobbies. Mm-hmm. So like no yeah, I know how that stuff goes. really like I still own stuff, but like yep. I just don't buy anymore or invest any more money. Yeah. I'm the exact oh. same boat. I used to go skiing probably 35, 40 days a year and I didn't oh, even wow. go skiing once this year. Yeah. Which is like, I, I haven't missed a year of like a day of skiing a year since I was probably three years old. So it was like a totally weird thing for me, but I'm, I'm super into guns and all that stuff too. And I keep having to take a back seat on buying stuff for that. Like I'm a total gear whore. Like I love buying like cool shit and doing that, but it's like, I go, I've been going shooting like three days a year. Like I don't need to yeah, spend all right. this money on this stuff and keep building out my AR and my Glock. And it's ammo like, so it, it works great. Like ammo hundred dollars so anytime right you go. Yeah, I used to go I'm after into, work, and yep. now I just uh, I'm not going to go spend hundred dollars. Yeah, with for a COVID, we got into airsoft, <clears throat> so we were like, plastic BBs are cheap as hell, and it's good like <laughs> motor function practice of there you go. Uh, firearms, and it's super fun to go shoot at people uh with plastic bbs so we got into that but don't do that very often it's like once every six months rc crawlers taking a back seat it's like oh my gosh just gotta focus yeah, i haven't on even what jumped I, down I really that rabbit hole the yeah. rc crawler I, I want one but i haven't even i know that's a whole other hole that i'll spend a lot of time and money on yeah yeah when i'm in like those spells of where i can't afford to do shit to my truck or not going out wheeling that's when i pull the rc car out because it's like oh no i broke an axle shaft i gotta go spend five (laughs) dollars yeah right yeah exactly uh yeah i I understand that struggle with finding time to do everything for sure yep that's 
being an adult, adulting mm-hmm. and being a business owner. So yeah, yep. two things that take up a lot of time. Wait till yep. you have kids. Uh, I have a little, a little, uh, four pod kid right now. And she's kind of a, she's kind of a, a mess, of <laughs> but she's so much fun. That's my oh, little yeah. Baja rescue. We picked oh, up nice. Catavina in November. Oh, Straight up yeah. thought she was a coyote and, uh, she's the coolest dog I've probably ever been around. Hell yeah. Yep, yeah. Dogs are pretty awesome. Yep. Having fun. If I had more well, time, cool. I'd have one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Awesome, man. All right. Well, make sure you guys check out Alex, uh, on all Instagram, Alex, uh, will, um, Hayden, you know, Hayden, everyone. Yeah. Check them out. Follow Sherpa Motorsports, Sherpa Equipment Co. Watch their progress. It's pretty amazing what they've been able to do and continue to grow both in racing business and just in life. So check them out. Fun to watch. Thanks, Steven. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.